So I don't know about you guys, but I hate morning. I'm not a morning person. I cannot stand the sound of my alarm clock when it goes off. And the worst part of my day is just getting started in the morning. Now, once I get going, I'm fine. Um, there was a man who was lamenting, a father that was lamenting about his son and how hard it was. They spent two years struggling trying to get him up and ready for school until they finally started leaving the shade open at night. So in the morning when the sun would rise, the light would filter into his room and it would shine on him and magically wake him up and get him going during the day. And so that solved their struggles of the early morning uh, rise quite nicely. So this Advent, we are talking about looking for light, right? Looking for light. We established that the, the darkness surrounds us and this one true light that shines without the darkness overcoming it is the light of Christ. <clears throat> he claims it, we believe it. So as we continue to prepare and anticipate the coming of Christ's light into our darkened world once again with the birth of Jesus, the question that we wonder about is, once we see and recognize this light, what do we do with it? What happens then? How often we will hunker down in the dark shadows of our life, won't we? And we fail to follow that light. But what happens if we ask God to um, show us how to let his light shine onto the places of our heart that we are content to just let sleep in the darkness? What happens if we expose ourselves to God's light? In order to do that, we got to leave those window shades of our heart open and willingly let Jesus change us. And that begins by learning to follow the light. So this morning we have two scripture passages to guide us. One is from a lesser known letter in the New Testament from Titus, and then the other are a few verses from the prophet Isaiah. Titus 2, 11 through 14 teaches this. The grace of God has prepared, mm -mm, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting ungodly lives and desires of this world. At the same time, we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our, appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us in order to rescue us from every kind of lawless behavior and cleanse a special people for himself who are eager to do good actions. And then some familiar verses possibly from Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. This is God's word for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> 
Once again, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in the waiting, the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the sighing, and the rejoicing. Show us your light in these dark Advent days and walk with us until the day of your coming. Amen. So Advent is a perfect time to talk about light and darkness as we find ourselves in the darkest time of the year. We know how often Jesus used light as a metaphor for himself and his relationship with God. If we believe that Jesus was in fact the light of God that God sent into the world to guide our way out of our darkness, then what does that mean for us personally? What do we do with this light? It means that we need to figure out how to follow it. The point is not to just look at the light and admire the light, how beautiful the light is. But our response is to follow the light as it shines into our darkness. Just like with the children's blessing this morning. To trust the light to point our way. Theologically speaking, that means that we begin to follow Jesus' example. Following the light means making the choices to try and live our life like Jesus taught us to live. So let's turn to our text this morning for a little help with that. I love the way that we're looking at this kind of unfamiliar text from Titus. You may not have heard much from this little letter. He was one of Paul's protégés and he was sent to the island of Crete, there south of Greece, in order to bring the light to them, to teach them about Jesus. And understand that the island of Crete, the Cretans, were considered less than. They were marginalized. They were um, um, lower class. And so Titus was heading to, to these particular folks socially um, to bring them the good news. And in these few several verses, there's a lot taking place. So I want us to look again at these words to notice some of the really important words from this text. It offers us a snapshot of godly living, right? Someone who is faithfully following the light. Verse 11 talks about the grace of God that has appeared, that has brought salvation to all people. And that is referring to Jesus, who has done this already through his birth, through his ministry, through his death, and his resurrection. That's the grace that Titus is referring to. This grace, Jesus, has taught us to live sensibly, to be ethically and moral people, to not be tempted by the desires of this world. Now, he doesn't go into specifics, but we can look to Jesus' life for that ethical measure for that example. But then the text goes on to make these interesting points. So verse 13 contrasts this living now, living now, with a sense of waiting for a future event, for a hope and a glorious appearance of Christ to come again. Y'all, Titus is pointing to exactly where we find ourselves in this point in time. He describes that time between the first advent, Jesus' birth, Jesus' entry, human entry into the world, with the second advent, which is Jesus' return and final victory over the powers and the principalities of this world. Theologically speaking, we call it the already, but not yet. Jesus began the coming of God's kingdom with his breaking into the world in that human form, but he has not fully uh, instilled God's kingdom 
quite yet. We believe that that will finally happen when Jesus comes again in final victory, like our liturgy for communion reminds us. That second advent. In the meantime, we are called to wait for that coming. And while we are waiting, we are to follow the light, that light of Christ. So I love the way the text ends. While Jesus brought salvation and grace um, and forgiveness to help us leave the darkness of our sin, the darkness of this world, the brokenness of our lives, to leave that behind, we're to live in the light and the goodness of Christ. It says we are to do um, we are to be eager to do good actions, to be eager to do good actions. That word eager. It's so interesting, right? Some versions translate it as zealous, but I love the use of the word eager. It implies a hunger, a desire, a, 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 a um, urgency to do good. It is proactive. It is not reactive. When I look at verse 14, though, I'm reminded of a conversation that I had just a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine. Um, and this this sense of, uh, it was about, she was sharing with me about a conversation she had with her adult son. So in some ways, the, the language in those last verses about rescuing, Jesus rescuing us, reminds me of um, a healthy parental relationship where parents try and rescue their kids from the mess of life that we can sometimes get ourselves into. That moms and dads try to help their children know how to follow uh, and live in God's light, even as adults. Even as adults, parents still are burdened to do this with their kids and for their kids. So the conversation between my friend uh, was that the uh, young adult son in his 20s had uh, sat down his parents to say, you know what, <clears throat> just I'm not going to live my life like my older sister's right? I'm not going to do the things that I think you expect of me. I'm not going to get married, probably ever. I'm definitely not going to have kids, probably ever. And I know that you've got these expectations of me, and I just don't feel like I'm living into what this family wants for me. So me and my girlfriend are probably not going to be around very much for the holidays. And my friend's heart was breaking as she listened to her son. But after he was done sharing in, in some beautiful honesty, she said to him, you know, we have never set this expectation upon you around a certain school that you should attend. We've never placed this expectation to you around a degree that you should earn or what career you should do. We've never placed those, those were your choices to make. She said, the one hope we've had for you the one expectation, the one thing we've asked of you, the hope we've had for you is that you would be a good person. That you would be a good person. And as she had this conversation, I was sharing this conversation with me, I thought of these verses. That Jesus' hope for us, right, is that we would be a good person that we would follow this Advent light that's shining in the world once again that would help lead us to be eager to do good actions. Well, this takes us to our verses from Isaiah. 
um, we find this reminder in Isaiah to arise, shine, for your light has come and that the Lord will shine upon you. So uh, again, uh, a little bit of context for this. This comes late in the book of Isaiah. It's a pretty long book. uh, And we believe there were three different writers in the book of Isaiah. And by chapter 60, um, where uh, the folks, the Israelites had been in exile, by this point in time, historically, they have been allowed to come back home. So the Jews are returning back from Persia and this, this bright scripture word of action and hope finally comes to them. But here's what's interesting. You know, there was joy, of course, in the coming back home, but the Israelites discovered it actually was a slower process than they thought. It was harder than they thought it was going to be. It didn't go as smoothly as they had dreamed that it would happen all those hundreds of years that they were in exile. But the prophet reminds the people that God has already and will continue to keep shining God's light on them. And if you notice the verb tense is again an already but a not yet, another fulfillment coming in the future um, that will complete the promise. Historically, these verses go on to talk about the restoration of Zion, which was another word for Jerusalem. It's the hope that Jerusalem will be returned to its former glory, that the city will be respected again by the surrounding nations, that it is a call to action in these verses. An action and an invitation, again, not to just look at and enjoy the beautiful light, but to arise and to follow that shining light. So it's an interesting contrast of verbs we have here this morning, isn't it? Wait for the hope while we are eagerly arising and following the light. But timing may be everything. In February of 1954, a Navy pilot set out on a night training session and he pulled off of a carrier on the, off the coast of Japan. Unfortunately, um, as soon as he pulled uh, away, the directional finder malfunctioned in his airplane, and so he immediately started heading in the wrong direction. And then, as fate would have it, it was a stormy night, and all of the, the lights in his cockpit went dead. His instrument panel went dead. So there's this moment where the outside darkness came inside his, his airplane and he's looking around going, I have no idea where I am. What do I do? And as he looked down, he began to notice this trail of, of light from within the ocean. And his training had prepared him for this moment. His training had taught him that this was some um, algae, some phosphorescent algae that the ship, the carrier, had stirred up. And so it was revealing the path back to um, his ship. And so um, in these moments, teaching also tells him this is just a total desperation, last minute uh, navigation tool. But at that point in time, that's what he had. That was all that he had. And so this pilot then, who actually was Jim Lovell, who went on to become one of the astronauts astronauts on Apollo 13, he knew what he needed to do to get his plane safely back to the ship. He followed the phosphorescent algae path. And he landed safely back on the plane. Now, Jim might not have described it this way, but 
Jim's life that night was saved because of light. Not just any light, but these tiny creatures that could contain something called luciferin, which is just a term for this light-emitting compound. These tiny creatures that live throughout the ocean. And when life was the darkest for Jim, he waited, he looked, and that life-giving light he needed was provided for him to follow. So in this situation, it was desperation, right, that caused uh, Jim to be motivated to follow the light. And sometimes that's exactly where we find ourselves. It's out of a place of desperation that we finally see God's um, light source, that God's providing, and then we make the decision to make our way out of our darkness. Jesus longs for us to find our way out of the dark corners of our life. In fact, Jesus teaches that one of his purposes in coming was to lead us into the light. Jesus said, uh, John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me won't live in darkness. We are children of the light. We are not children of the darkness. Sometimes we find ourselves in such a dark hole that we have to work hard to see the light like Jim did from the desperate dark sky. But other times, other times the light shines like an obvious spotlight um, coming from that night sky, uh, inviting us like a moth to the light to come. The light calling us to new life, to good life, to life eager to do good things. NPR's radio show, This American Life, which is awesome. I love Ira Glass. Um, But he shared this segment a couple of Decembers ago about a marketing uh, uh, um, executive from Colombia. And his name was Jose, is Jose Miguel um, Sokoloff. He also has a TED Talk that's fascinating as well. And so what happened is the government of Colombia approached Jose and asked him uh, to do this very interesting assignment. He asked him to run a marketing campaign to try and persuade the leftist guerrillas to leave the warfare and to to, um, disengage, to get back into society, to go back home, to go back home. So at first, uh, the first plan Uh, Jose had was he took real life uh, testimonies of former guerrillas but it was done by actors and it was run as radio spots and it fell flat it felt contrived and it didn't really work so in 2010 he tried a different approach and he used Operation Christmas campaign and so what they did was chose like nine different junctions in the jungle where these guerrillas would, um, warriors would walk to, to, to um, move back and forth in the jungle. And they put thousands and thousands of lights on these 75-foot trees. And they were on motion sensors. So whenever the, the um, guerrilla fighters would walk by them, they would set off the motion sensors. And not only would the lights come on, but then a message would come on that would say, if Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home. So that worked for a while. 
Um, they uh, counted 331 rebels that year that ended up coming back home, that left fighting. So the next year they ran a similar campaign, but it was called Operation Rivers of Light. And here they took these um, plastic globes and they put lights inside of them with gifts and really heartwarming messages that were also invitations for the fighters to go home. And they were floated down the river. So as the fighters were um, traveling on the river, they were surrounded by these beautiful lit orbs and they could not resist picking them up out of the water, opening them and finding the gifts and the messages. And Jose said that what was really important about this campaign is it truly was beautiful. And that beauty is what drew them to the, the uh, message they were trying to convey that year. Well, the next year in 2012, the ad did another um, operation. Bethlehem was what that campaign was called. And so they shone these huge skylights up. I think of Batman when I um, um, imagine it. But they had these huge lights that were shining up in the sky. And the message that they played this time was, this Christmas, follow the lights that will guide you to your family and your freedom. So just like these lights calling these guerrilla fighters to leave the dark jungle, to go home, Christ's light shines like a beam of unlimited grace into our lives, calling us to go home, to come home, to stop rebelling or hiding or running or turning away and to come home. God's house is big. And it is full of grace and light and good, good things for you. Follow the light. Theologian Thomas Oden said it beautifully. Nativity and cross are meant to make us better persons so we can lead faithful lives that are worthy of God's grace. Faithful lives worthy of God's grace. This is the invitation for you this Advent. Because once again, as you're busy preparing home and menu and calendars and all of the things that you do to prepare for the birth of Christ, the invitation is that you also prepare your spirit for Jesus' coming once again. Friends, it is grace that shines brightly for us to follow. And it is faithfulness and courage that responds within us by rising and embracing and following the light of Christ. Can you see it? God's been shining this light on and off all morning long through that beautiful window. Can you see it? Then follow it. Let us pray. Holy God, I just pray that if there is anyone here in this space this morning that feels like they are surrounded by the dark, that this light that shines through this window this morning is a reminder to them of your love and desire and grace for them to follow your light, that you will lead each and every one of us out of our places of darkness and into your glorious grace 
and loving embrace. Draw us in. Give us courage to arise and to follow your light so that we might know your love, your warmth, your desire for us to be your children of light. Amen.